Hi, my name is Kate, and this is The Sex Alarm. I had actually retired my podcast a while back, but then the world changed. Following is a mini-series of free episodes on love and sex in Berlin after COVID. After it became part of our lives, I'll be covering porn, dating, and sexual health with some of my friends and experts, and putting up lots of juicy links. I do hope you enjoy. There's no doubt that the way we date in Berlin has changed since the COVID-19 pandemic. Social gatherings are no longer available in the same way. So we've taken to dating apps, walks along the canal with sweaty beers and home visits. We've adapted some of our dating habits, but the virus is still very real. Now, health isn't any longer just a personal affair, but a societal affair, and doing our due diligence as citizens, we're confronted with more difficult conversations. How many other people are you seeing? How many are you intimate with? What are your safety protocols? Suddenly, we have to involve strangers in our most intimate matters, and for many, this type of conversation is very new and highly uncomfortable. This rings familiar, though. Because for decades, sex educators, amongst others, have been pushing for destigmatization and normalization of STIs and testing. Now it seems like there's quite an overlap between the conversations. Will COVID-19 pandemic influence the way we talk about STIs in the future? To help me get some perspective on the topic, I've reached out to Lorene HD. She's a sex educator focusing on destigmatizing STIs and runs a highly informative YouTube channel on the notion that proper information will help break down fear and stigma. Lorene, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so nice to have you in the studio. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So basically talking to you a while back is actually how I got the idea to this podcast series. Because I know that a lot of practices in relation to love and sex in Berlin were adapting to new realities because of COVID-19. But when you told me that it could actually have a positive effect on our sexual health, I was super curious. <laughs> so let's just get started. Like, what was your own experience living with and talking about STIs? And how does it relate to the way that people are now experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic? That's a very good uh, question, a question that I've been, you know, um, thinking about over over the whole lockdown. So I think the it's not it's not going to be news to anyone, but the weird part of having an STI is not necessarily the one that you have to go through individually when you're having symptoms. So for my personal case, I have genital herpes, and so experiencing outbreaks of herpes on my genital is is actually something that I've become used to and that is very manageable for me so that's not the the weird or the hard part the hard part is always uh, bringing up your diagnosis with people why is it hard because there's no representation of on how to have those conversations uh, whether you look to culture or you know how our parents onboard us onto sex or how we learn about sex in school there's just very little helpful information out there regarding that topic so it kind of leaves it all up on let's say our, our, our shoulders like when we contract something to have to figure out how to talk about it and on the receiving end a lot of people are not used to hearing this information a lot of people um 
don't know how to react to it. And what I feel that the COVID-19 pandemic has, or how I feel that it has impacted, you know, the conversation around SDI is because we, it has normalized talking about our health and talking about our status. It has normalized asking those questions that used to be awkward that are now very normal because, you know, it is part of like prevention methods. So not just understanding the status of someone, but also having to wear, you know, protection like masks or hand sanitizers and like washing our hands. So there's just been these whole like set of, if I can call them rules, which are to to be open about a diagnosis or like if you've been to a party or if you've been to a gathering where someone has contracted COVID-19, you have to tell your other friends, you have to quarantine yourself, you have to get tested, um, you have to wear, as I was saying before, protection methods. And like all of that is very similar to what you have to do when you have an STI of like, you know, letting your partners know whoever you want to be intimate with. You have to consider protection uh, maybe a little bit more seriously than how you used to before, if that wasn't something that you considered seriously before. Um, so there's just like a lot of parallels to me that that emerged. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, this is my prediction that like what we have learned to navigate the pandemic can be transferred to how we learn to navigate STIs. But, you know, time will tell. <laughs> Previous to our conversation, Lorene had told me about something called the five stages of grief. It's a model developed by psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubel-Ross, who used to work with patients who are terminally ill. It shows how we emotionally move through a difficult process like grief. And I asked Lorene how she'd been able to transfer this model onto her own life. The way the stages of grief actually affected me from an STI perspective is that in the beginning, we all start from a place of denial, thinking that STIs only affect people who behave in a certain way or um, have a certain type of sexuality. And we all think, you know, STIs won't affect me. Then we get to anger of thinking, okay, they won't affect me, but I still have to use some kind of protection we have to use condoms and it like hurts our pleasure. It kills the mood. So that's like how we transition from denial in, into this five stages. Third one being bargaining, understanding that, okay, I'm using condoms, but you know, if I use condoms, it means that I'm safe. So at least there's a reason for that. And then in sadness, when you learn that, you know, either you haven't been using condoms and you contracted something or you have been using condoms and you still contracted something, you reach the part of, you know, really trying to understand like, how did this happen to me? I don't feel like myself anymore. All of the things that I was and that I was going to be are taken away from me. I would say this is like the the rock bottom point and then comes acceptance where is also the the phase where I started my YouTube channel where you understand okay whatever I have may not be curable but it's treatable it's manageable there's still definitely a lot of things that I could do and you learn to make the most out of it. Um, It's interesting with with Berlin, as you mentioned, because that's also kind of like the the focus of this podcast, because I feel Berlin, well, at least it has a reputation for being like a very like sexually liberated place, sexually active place. Um, 
and also because it's the place we call home. And I was really surprised when I moved to Berlin to find out that this like progressiveness in sex culture and lifestyles and, and so on didn't really translate into the healthcare system. Because mm-hmm. in Germany, there's no preventative healthcare, and which means that there's a lot of outreach in the gay male communities, mainly because there's a big focus on eradicating um, HIV. So there you can go into like gay clinics from basically from the street and get the kind of help you need. So the way it basically works here, the healthcare doesn't cover sexual testing. So either if you go to your own general practitioner, they can't do, they don't do vaginal swaps there. Then you can be go to a gynecologist and you can pay for it there. And if you want to speed up, you know, expedition at the gynecologist, you have to like lie and say you have symptoms. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame because this city of all really needed, you know, if we want to put an end to STIs and like everybody have sex, no matter like what gender or gender identity or sexuality and things merge a lot. Mm-hmm. So this, this it's a very like conservative view of like, we just like treat the gay men. And yes. Like, why do we have such a, you know, such a conservative culture? When it comes to sex healthcare and like, what are the um, the consequences of that? I mean, as a non-German person, I I am still very baffled, like you, that this city is welcoming all types of sexual liberation, and yet it seems that you know no one's there. And uh, we both, you know, have talked about this, and I've tried to find clinics that would test us without asking us 10,000 questions or like sending us back home because they feel like we're not really at risk and having someone decide for you if your sexual health is at risk it's absurd I'm not asking for permission I am just asking for the responsible thing to do and we paid for it exactly (laughs) so the this idea that the insurance is not covering it unless you're having symptoms you know i last time i got tested i asked the practitioner there and he said that healthcare in germany is a treatment uh system the way they make money is by giving you treatment and so for preventative sti testing if they know that, you know, 70% of the test will come back negative, then it's a cost with no return on investment. And therefore, they only test when they know that they can send you, like, sell you a treatment. That is crazy. I had no idea that Germany was so capitalist because it seems so, I don't know. I just have this idea that it's a lot more like socialist system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until it comes to sex. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, but also like, yeah, because if you, we also talked about this before, if you are pregnant, for example, then it is like, you know, no problem. You can get all the care, covered. all the checked up, everything's covered. But it is just like, you know, you need to have sex to get pregnant also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah, but for me, this is like patriarchy, like right there, like framed in a golden frame. It's when... It's about, you know, uterus owners um, being valuable to society and to men by, you know, procreating, then, of course, all the costs and all the preventative and, and whatnot care is provided for free. But when it's about uterus owners wanting to just have pleasure and explore, you know, themselves and other people through sexuality, 
then it's kind of at your own risk and at your own cost. And I think that really sends a message of discouraging this type of, of freedom. And the question is like now with so much focus on Corona and the healthcare system, obviously allocating a lot of resources there. I hear from some people um, like minority groups, like people with HIV who are like struggling more to get the medicine now. People who are trans who also need medical care that, you know, they're not just priori they're not prioritized anymore. Mm -hmm. And the question is whether like all of sexual health is going to get down prioritized now or if, you know, on the flip side, if we get more used to testing because testing just becomes like a. A, a thing we're used to now, you know, because it becomes normalized that, oh, we need to like get tested once in a while because probably we're going to live with this virus for many years more, yeah. you know. So um, I don't um, know if it's going to go in one or other direction. For me, the most like the direction that makes the most sense is that, you know, Germany has been the poster child of going through this pandemic because it has tested the shit out of its population. The numbers of contamination in Germany has been high, but still pairing that with testing has allowed them to have an eye on people who had symptoms and make sure that they weren't um, going to, to, to get um, more serious in terms of symptoms. So how do you understand that testing is such an important part of mitigating a pandemic through COVID-19 and you don't understand how you have to apply the same thing to STIs, which by the way, we can, like a lot of people learned the word pandemic with COVID-19, but STIs have been a pandemic for ever. But because, you know, it's not, is it, it's not valuable? Is it, it's not profitable? Like, I don't know what the, the answer is, but we don't treat the two on the same level. And I'm sure, you know, people with HIV, um, or hepatitis C uh, uh, are at risk. Uh, there, there are life-threatening risks, which with HIV and PrEP, those risks have been um, mitigated very well. But still, just because we don't die from STIs, it doesn't mean that we have to not take them seriously. So yeah, if, if we want people to be responsible with their partners, we also have to be given the tools to know our status in in a way that doesn't you know make you bankrupt <laughs> ideally coming to the question of dating because mm -hmm. now obviously dating also changed a lot and like i said in the intro about like the kind of like conversations we need to have now because COVID is so easy, trans transferable, even just by kissing. Mm -hmm. So we have to take that, that like serious conversation a bit earlier than we would maybe the conversation about STIs. I know it's very different from person to person. Some people talk about STIs with the potential sexual partner before they get into bed. Some people do it at the moment of like sexual activity in bed. But with kissing now, that's a COVID risk. So you have to like already there be like, how many other people are you kissing? I just need to know it's not me. It's like the world needs to know. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of like public health. But what is a good strategy to go about that? Like, how do you make it less awkward? To be honest, it depends a little bit what your intentions are. For me personally, because I'm all about 
destigmatization, not just, you know, yes, I want to be respectful of my partner's health and give them the opportunity to opt in the risk of potentially contracted genital herpes from me. But I also have a higher goal of just making STIs like, or at least conversations about STIs normal, that I make it a part of who I am. Like I bring up this conversation very early on. It's also a bit easier for me to do that because I have built, you know, a YouTube channel because it is I'm so public about it. That's whether I say it or people see it and then we talk about it, they already know. I think it's a bit different for, for people who aren't so public. And when I say public, I mean like on social media, just talking about it. For me, bringing it up only to my intimate partners isn't fulfilling the higher purpose that I want to accomplish, you know, on this earth of like helping people talk about sex and helping people understand that sexual health is health. And that just because it is related to sex, it is not shameful. It is not, it is nothing that people should take, you know, uh, feel, feel awkward about, feel bad about. With COVID-19, we've also learned a lot of, of words like asymptomatic and the fact that you can be a carrier but not have symptoms and therefore not know. For a lot of STIs, it's also the same thing. So a lot of times when you talk about STIs, people are like, oh, I don't have symptoms, like, you know, so I'm good. I think people are a lot more educated now about viruses and um, are also a little bit more empathetic on what it means to contract something and to have that emotional weight of like, oh my gosh, I'm someone who contracted a, a virus, whether it's an STI or even COVID-19. So I hope that both on the people who contract something, it can be a conversation that doesn't have to, again, bring up a lot of shame. And on the receiving end, just having seen how COVID-19 can happen to anyone understand that STIs, especially in Berlin, where we are so like eat, pray and fuck, <laughs> that it can be met with the same lightheartedness, which doesn't take any of the seriousness of the virus away. Yeah, understanding that it's it's just part of, of life and part of experiencing life. Yeah, it's um, it's been an integration process the whole time, you know, just like as you know, the five stages, just like uh, getting used to this being a thing that's just not going to pass. This is something that's here to say. And, and at one point we just like, I like personally, I'm like, okay, and like now just like, how do I make my everyday life work? You know, mm -hmm. how do I just go about having the best life I possibly can, but always having this like to factor in. And it's an, an adjustment, but also just a habit. Mm -hmm. So I think like starting to have conversations like this is a good good way to start. But yeah, I was, I'm very curious what's going to happen in in the more like sex party communities. Mm -hmm. And so there was people, uh, communities I think are also going to have to adapt in a in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the problem is also there's so little data right now mm -hmm. in general, just how this has affected us, but also like you know, whether like it can't be transmitted through like certain types of fluids from the body and so on. So it's also hard to make any like adjustments and legislation on what's allowed and what's not when we're still just figuring everything out, really. Mm -hmm. But that actually, to me, um, is something that I've seen happening. You know, some of the research that we were mentioning before said that a lot of the 
sort of sex behavior and 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 um, attitudes have translated online, and uh, people have had a lot more dating, just meeting someone like online instead of meeting in person. You would you know match with someone on dating apps, and then you would have like a video call or something like that. What that has favored, like if the sexual activity has gone down, at least for people who weren't in a monogamous relationship and like in the lockdown together, the communication aspect has gone up a lot. And we have been forced to, but hopefully we're also learning to enjoy how to communicate with each other aside from just communicating like your STI status and stuff. So I hope that this sort of fluidity in connecting via communication, whether it's online or uh, on the phone or however else, is also going to be something that is going to be less daunting for people when they meet to, you know, do something that maybe once was considered being vulnerable, kind of like, you know, showing your face after you've matched with someone on the, the, the first date and it's not in person. That was kind of like, ooh, awkward. Or, you know, getting into talking right away instead of maybe trying to meet and see if there's chem sexual chemistry. Like, I hope that all of that fluidity and conversation and communication will be, will stay beyond, you know, the lockdowns and, and, um, and COVID-19. So that's how you see the future of of sexual health. There's just a lot more communication. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm optimistic and maybe a little bit utopian, but yeah, I think I think COVID 19 is just teaching us to to be open and that you know viruses are not a single person or a single community's problem. As you were saying, there's a lot of exchange. There's a lot of You know, it's not just like uh, gay, like men who have sex with men. It's like ultimately sex is something and even our sexuality is a lot more fluid than we like to to acknowledge. So I think COVID-19 is really showing that it doesn't discriminate anyone because we know that, you know, for the majority of people, aside from people who are asexual, for the majority of people, we are sexual beings and therefore STIs don't discriminate either. Also, because, you know, even if you use barrier methods like condoms, you could still contract STIs that are transmittable via contact, skin contact. So in that sense, I think COVID-19 COVID is opening our eyes on, okay, well, we all live in, in a society and what affects one person also affects another person. And it's everybody's responsibility to tackle this as individuals, but also as humans, right? With, with feelings and empathy and understanding. I hope that All of that can be transferred to how we deal with STIs. Thanks. I think that's a really beautiful note to, to end this show with. I also just want to, because I felt like this conversation, like so many times when I have this conversation, end up being about how much it sucks for, for like women or people with vaginas in the city. And I just want to say like to people listening out there, There are a few doctors out there uh, mm -hmm. that we have come across that actually do testing um, and, and like super simple, easy testing of vaginas without any like shame or stigma around it. Mm -hmm. They do exist. So do not, <laughs> do not fear and, and reach out to us if you exactly. need those contacts because we would be very glad to give it to anyone in need. Exactly. We've already been like spreading it out to everybody we know. We definitely can always put it in the show notes for this episode mm -hmm. and 
Good and yeah, so, and also just reach out to community. It's out there, the mm-hmm. information. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lorene. Thank you.